ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome, folks, to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined tonight by Uncle Mark. Hi, Mark. Holla! How's it going? Uncle Mark, Uncle Mark and his bourbon. And his bourbon. I was like, do you start with more bourbon or do you just start with a small amount of bourbon? Is that is that the thing? Do you sip that? I, I so, hmm. I'm not I really a bourbon guy. bourbon and fingers. Yeah, I started with two fingers and I'm down about half a finger. I tend to sip it. I, I My goal is one drink a night because otherwise... It, yeah, it's you know it's a it's a work night, right? Got work does, in the morning. Does this mean that people with thicker fingers drink more bourbon? Mm, I think that I think that absolutely is what it means. Like if I have really small hands, do I have to drink three fingers of bourbon? Where you might only have to drink two fingers because your hands are larger than mine. So let's hypothesize: <laughs> if your fingers are bigger, that probably means you have more body mass. Ah, so you need more bourbon to have the same impact. Oh, so oh, if I'm I a get ti- it. if I'm a tiny person with tiny fingers, you need less right? bourbon. I need less less actual raw bourbon. So yeah. So what, I, what it you're sounds scientific to me. What you're saying is that the the figure <clears throat> scale is curved according to body mass, on, and thus now, it is the perfect way to measure alcohol consumption. So Aranami does point out something, though. Uh, does the finger have to belong to you? Only, only if you're calibrating according to like you know small person, small fingers. Now, if if I if you get three fingers for me and you're a small person that doesn't have hands that are as big as mine, then then your world's going to be rocked a little more. So. Yeah, and then I think it's and it's then big, like yeah. if, if you're ordering bourbon at the bar, right? Then uh, you may have to pick a bartender that's of, of a similar body mass to you. Otherwise, he may overpour or underpour your bourbon. Yeah, and I'm and this, this. this the fingers <laughs> thing seems to be kind of in the same swim lane as all the jokes about this. You know, this meteor was four giraffes high because you know Americans will use anything but the metric system. <laughs> Right. You know, it should be like I'm drinking, you know, 50 milliliters of bourbon. No, we're going to measure in fingers, which are not the same across individuals. And like what happens if I had an accident where I like chop the tip of my finger off, you know? Yeah. Or like what if you didn't have a middle finger? Then you had to measure with these two fingers and those two fingers together. I'm probably making gang signs right now. Yeah. Are are not the same thickness as. Yeah, it's totally flawed. And And not having a middle finger would be sad for other reasons. We we should measure it. That's my inner Jersey guy. We should measure in bananas. What could a banana possibly cost, Michael? Ten dollars? <laughs> Arrested development. Anyway, uh, sometimes I wonder if we should put the chat at the top of the show instead of the main topic. Yeah, because <laughs> we always yeah. start this way. <laughs> I I just you know I like to think of this as just a nice warm opening for yep. people rather yep. than a cold open right into the uh, right into the show. So so there were two things we wanted to get out of the way once I put my camera on so you could see. Yeah, I'm gonna I do one to that beer. one right now. Look at this. Ooh, it's like it's staring into an eight ball. That's how dark this beer is. Uh, how how's is it tasty? It is. It is. It is a. And I know some people are weird about fruity tastes in beer, but it's actually pretty good. It is a bananas Foster ice cream stout. Yeah, so by, bananas Foster, if I remember, that's like vanilla ice cream, bananas, and then some sort of a liquor. New trail and brewing. You usually light it on, light it on fire. Well, I didn't light it on fire. No, when you make actual bananas Foster, this looks like in the real world. Oh yeah, it does have vanilla on the uh, on the label, so it must be vanilla and, and it's good. That's all I got to say. It's it's good. And, and the, I, I know some people Foster don't like banana big, flavor, but it's good. Banana Foster was a big thing in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up because I remember having it. We had, it was You could get it at a restaurant on a fairly regular basis, and my dad used to make it sometimes at home as a dessert. Cool. Did he light it on fire? I can't believe uh, – yeah, because it burns off the alcohol, and then kids can drink it. Or teetotalers. You know? Awesome. Kids, teetotalers, and Baptists are allowed to eat it at that point. So, yeah. All right. So the other the other I'll save for chat because it's, you know, whatever. 
Let's get moving. What do you think? Should we actually like? Yeah, sure. Should Let's we, should we have a it. podcast tonight Let's instead do... of just talking about how much bourbon your fingers measure and whether my bananas foster uh, uh, stout is good? Well, it would be a podcast anyway, but I think, you know, people want to hear about some nerd stuff. You're probably so. right. So um, I was I wanted to continue the cloud uh, arc today, but I was having trouble coming up with a topic that I could do quickly. So um, I pulled this one kind of out of my back pocket. It's one I've been kind of thinking of doing. I've seen other things like this, but whatever. We're going to get right into it. Tonight, Mark and I are going to share with you guys our favorite Linux commands or perhaps utilities. Yeah. Right? Mine are, now, I guess they're all commands. One of them might be considered a utility. And it's like if you're a parent, right? You don't want to admit that this kid's your favorite. Yeah. But let's be real. Yeah. You but have a favorite. If, if you're a Linux sysadmin, there's certain commands you're always going to, right? And and so for some people, those are those are similar. For other people, it's, you know, they're totally different. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the reason these kind of topics are sometimes interesting for folks is you might learn about a command that you had no idea existed. And you're like, damn, I wish I had known that. Well, maybe tonight you'll, maybe tonight yeah. you'll, you'll learn a new command. Uh, so I'm going to start off with good old said and awk, which are technically two commands, but I mean, come on, awk! do you ever use one without the other? Almost never. <laughs> mm. No, right? not really. Right. So, um, for anyone who's unfamiliar said is, uh, well, I guess the, the best way to describe said is it's, it's a way of, of taking, uh, one character or string of characters and replacing it with another in line, right? So, do you know what SAT actually stands for? Um, is it like stream, stream editor or something? Stream like that? editor. That's what I thought. I, yeah. was, I was I had to reach so, to the back of the brain here, and it took a little while to make the okay. trip. <laughs> so set. So let. Can I back up a second? Go right ahead. Back for, up for a philo- for a philosophical observation. One of the things that that Linux people lean into. Uh, is is the Unix background where everything in a Unix or a Linux system is essentially a file, and many of these files are text. Right. So so a lot of cool commands in Unix and Linux are all about streams of text and doing things with them. Right. Right. So whenever you see one of those weirdly archaic Unix or Linux commands that have pipes and carrots and, or not carrots, but redirects and other pipes and pipe and carrots going one way and the other. I keep saying carrots, the chevrons. Is that the right word? But you know, the, the less triangle. greater than the alligators. There you go. The alligators. Um, that's because bash, maybe not just bash, most shells in, in, most shells. in Unix and Linux are designed to let you take the output of one command and send it to another. Right. And those different pipes yep. and greater than less than alligators um, they're all about what direction you're sending streams, right? Yep. So, um, sed is one of those tools, right? You take the output of a command, put it through sed. You can use sed to like, uh, transform it before it comes out the other side. So more than meets the eye, like really simple. If you want to take all of the, if you want to trim out the extra spaces, for example, you have a file that has like a bunch of extra spaces and you want them down to a single space in between each word or in between each, each, uh, segment, you can do that. With said, uh, you can change periods to something else. You can transform, you know, whatever. And awk tails really nicely into that because awk is, it's basically a, uh, uh, there's almost a language, there is a language around awk all by itself that you can take that text and pass it into awk and do crazy stuff with it. It doesn't just transform it, but maybe strips out certain things or gives you a certain, um, what I use it most for is to give me a certain piece of the output. So if you have output that's like one space, two space, three space, four, you can tell it, give me only the fourth item in that array, and then it'll split them up based on the spaces and give you that one back. And it's a great way to take like, I don't know, the output of Netstat or something and say, okay, give me just the IP addresses that are connected to me, right? So you get your netstat command just right, so it gives you the data you want, and then you use awk to filter it down to just that column of data. It's crazy stuff you can do with awk. Set and awk go really well together. Yeah, so one of my favorite stories of my early Linux career involves a, a report that was generated at Merck by a lab machine. And 
the guy, the scientist, I, I did desk side support for basic research for part of my career there. And the scientist was like, Mark, this report is too big for me to open in Excel, <laughs> you know, on his, on his Windows NT machine. So you said, and, I, I see the first problem. <laughs> well, right. So what I was able to do is on, it, it was on a, uh, it was on a, uh, a Slack lab a slack box that i had set up in my office it was basically my bang on it linux box mm -hmm. i was able to take that file and use set and off to convert it into exactly what he needed without any issues whatsoever and hand it back to him like so linux actually like saved the day when windows was just choking <laughs> so that that was pretty awesome yeah and for the life of me i can't remember details beyond that because that was probably in 1999, but it was awesome. I bet. And I remember. I remember it was me putting, Just looking up, putting together set and awk to 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 basically fix that file. Um, so he needed it, the, the into the format he could use it. It was it was it was it was cool. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I just realized that. Uh, Streamlabs just yelled at Ariane. Yeah, I know. I know. I gotta, I gotta, Streamlabs does not appreciate that's like our a, Linux background. That's like a new a new feature. I'm gonna have to tweak that thing. Uh, I was tinkering fine. around with stuff, and I, we do we do occasionally get spam bots. Not frequently, but it happens sometimes. So I thought, hey, if there's a bot that'll help me uh, prevent spam, then I'll turn sure. it on. So now it needs to be tweaked. Just like any good spam filter, it's never good right out of the box. So sorry about no. that, Aranami. We appreciate your. Uh, your, your, I like your, the tail, and it, it's not like it stopped you. It just yelled at you a little it bit. It just said, hey, stop spamming symbols. That must be a thing I can yeah. turn off. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah so said knock. I mean, they, they save the day. They're, they're great. I, I rem Most of my time spent with said knock and grep, which you're going to talk about later, um, were in log parsing. Yeah. You know, uh, in the days before we had Splunk, or, you know, if you work a play at a place that couldn't um, couldn't afford Splunk. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just won't pay for Splunk, right? Uh, or our other log parsing tools. They're they're really great. If you if you know what you're if you know what you're doing and you know how to move the the uh, uh, the streams around and uh, use setawk and, and grep, you can really fine tune like what you're looking for and get stuff out of log files. And what sysadmin doesn't spend, you know, half his day every day dealing with log files? <laughs> well, the good ones do. The bad ones are like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't on. know what's wrong. Well, what did did you look in the logs? What? Yeah. The, the what? Where are they? If you look in the log, I'll bet it tells you exactly what went wrong. Yeah. And nine times out of ten. That's what I found. It does. Siri, I'm not talking to you. Siri's like, no. I can help. You said logs. I know where the I logs are. Occasionally, I'll say something and my watch will decide to listen and then be like, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but here's what I found. Until you want it to, right? And then you're, then you're like, damn it, to, listen right? to me, woman. Then I'm yelling at it to start a timer because I got meat going. Yeah. Start a timer! <laughs> All right, anyway. All right, you're up next. What do you got? All right, so my first command, um, SSH for all the things. Yeah. And and. So here's what I'm talking about. Um, I run a Fedora box, right? My, my laptop runs Fedora. That's my work machine. And it's in a GUI. I have a Steam Deck. It's a GUI. I've got, you know, my Raspberry Pi, which while it's hooked to a monitor, you know, I, I can go either. But the reality is that um, actual work, you can do really cool things being able to SSH into all the things. Yeah. Um. And it's sometimes a way to be far more productive. For instance, early in my Steam Deck's life, I actually enabled the SSH server. And what that lets me do is when, you, when you're updating the Steam stuff, that's pretty easy. But if you need to update the flat packs for like third-party software that you're using, if you flip over to desktop mode and use the flat pack GUI updater, it is slow. It's it's fairly awful. Okay. But if I SSH into the thing, like it's in gaming mode right now, but if I go to my Fedora box, I can SSH into it and do like flat pack, pseudo flat pack, update all, whatever. And it's in the command history. So I'm not even going to remember it. I'm going to hit the up arrow a couple of times. 
right? Yep. It's much, much, much faster because it's text-based. It's not. It doesn't have the overhead of a GUI. Right. Screenshots. When I take screenshots in a game that I play on the DAC, I have a little script that I, I, I borrowed a script and then made it better. I run a script on my Fedora box that uses SSH. It, 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 it does a remote execution on my Steam Deck, creates symlinks from all the disparate screenshots that are spread across all the, the Steam folders and bring and create symlinks to them in the pictures folder in my home directory. And then the script takes those pictures and copies them to the Steam Deck folder in my pictures on my laptop. So any screenshots I've taken, I can then easily post to Mastodon or email them or drop them in whatever chat I'm in uh, without like without having to, 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 to finagle with Steam. And that's all using SSH. Because this, when people think SSH, they normally think about running the terminal, but SSH can also execute commands. Yeah. Yeah. Non-interactive commands. And then it's that that SCP and other little subcommands are all part of that same suite. Yeah, you can and it, you can you can do um sort of like uh makeshift automation using SSH. Well that's well before Ansible and before third expensive third party solutions like Chef and Puppet. Old school sysadmins, that's what we did. We had yeah. SSH keys installed and we had bash scripts we would execute using SSH yeah. across our environments. Yeah. Or and you could do a lot of admin yeah. with that. I, uh, neither of us listed it, but the good old fashioned for or while loop at a, at a bash prompt uh, combined with that's a lot it's of not these one tools. of my favorite commands. Okay. Well, one of my favorite commands. It is kind of one of my favorite commands, but I wanted to. Uh, uh, I didn't want to make my list too long, and it wasn't the top of my list. But anyway, <laughs> so, it's so for for re for doing a lot of a of the same task. Four is amazing, right? Yes, and you you're can combine right. that with SSH and a command passed in. Like you use a for loop to iterate through a list of servers using SSH to send a command off to all those servers, and boom, you've got makeshift automation. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom. It's. It's hand-rolled animation. It's not makeshift. So pour right. one out for SSH. Don't pour that out. That'll make a mess on your keyboard. I'm going to pour it into my mouth. Pour it into but your pour mouth. Pour one out for SSH. Yeah. The best thing BSD ever gave us. Oh, jeez. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, SSH is great. That's a great tool. Speaking of network-related tools, um, and this isn't just for the hackers in the crowd, but I love Nmap. Hmm. Nmap is great for, um, so what, what does Nmap do, basics? It, it'll scan a destination server or even a range of IPs for ports that are open. And you can specify TCP or UDP. You can have it do, like, scans. You can have it do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, I, I've barely scratched the surface on what Nmap is capable of. It does a ton of things. It's a big... It is. It is. There's so much in there. It's so much more than just a port scanner. Um... But primarily, I use it as a port scanner. And the reason I think sysadmin should care about a port scanner is, you know, you're troubleshooting a problem. You know, you've got a, a remote web server, remote service of some sort, and it's it's not responding the way you think it should or it's not responding at all. Is the port open? Can I get to right. the port? Go from your client machine, Nmap, to the server. See if the port is even listed as open and listening. And Nmap will even do some stuff to try to, if you tell it to, like identify what's on that port, right? Yeah. So if you don't get an expect expected response from the port or the port says it's filtered or the port says it's not open at all, now you've got like legitimate info that you can go on. It's not just for hackers trying to break into your stuff. Although it's also and, good for hackers trying to break into your stuff. And so flipping that around, Nmap can serve the same purposes when you leave your house and you lock your door, you wiggle the knob. You run right. Nmap to see, hey, Yes. Do I have ports open right. that I don't want open? Yep. You know, how exposed am I? There was Because if the port ain't open, the traffic can't come in. There was a point where um, I was contracted by a place I used to work to help them clean up the PICS firewall that I helped them manage while I worked there, right? Mm -hmm. But they had lost expertise after I left, and it had gotten kind of crusty, right? And they didn't have support from Cisco anymore, and they couldn't afford, like, a real... Cisco certified person to come in and do it. So they just said, like, can you help us out? So uh, what I did is I, I did uh, an Nmap sweep across their network from outside 
to say like like the sonar noise when you were doing that yeah i did to say like what's open and what can we maybe close right so that that was just kind of the start to say like you know this stuff probably shouldn't be open this stuff is probably fine right and then i probably used said and to go through with the data later probably (laughs) probably but you know that's a great use for it you can from from the outside scan your whole network and see if there's anything anything listening you think shouldn't be and then figure out what that is, why it's listening, and shut it down if it's not, if it's not supposed to be. So NMAP Sweet. is my next favorite tool. Nice. It's a fine tool. All right, I guess I'm up. Yep. Uh, and one of my favorites, it's grab, 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 grab from whom all goodness flows. I was going for the Lutheran hymn, you had grammar corrected me and I went back and fixed it. Yeah. And I validate I validated the actual uh language. Yeah, no, I that's uh, why I put it as a suggestion. I thought it was just funny. Grep yeah. through it whom funny. all goodness flows cuz that's more The true. lyric is from who, I know, from all goodness I know, flows. Right? I know. So so grep grep is in the same family as Sedanoc. It's like it's like the little cousin in some ways cuz it's simpler. But grep I use it all the friggin' time, especially when I'm like when I'm troubleshooting, trying to narrow stuff down. Because grep basically, you, you you'll take a big chunk of output and then pipe, and then pipe that to grep, and you can search you can search for specific strings, or you can search for lines that don't have specific strings or whatever, really. And and I I actually barely touch upon the power of grep and it's still so powerful right yeah like for troubleshooting it it, you can just you know pipe pipe the main log and grep against error or grep against fail and and there you go there's there's all the lines in the log that show things that did not work and then then you can you can dig in further it's a really good way of 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 narrowing in on data you're looking for when i was and uh, it's it's just so it's so it's so simple, but yet it's so powerful. When I was early on in my career, uh, when I, I was doing uh, basically level two network support, and we had there was there was this use case where we sometimes had to look through a log file, right? And Imagine that the live log file was um, it was on a Linux machine. It was from Cisco Gear or something, but it was stored on this Linux machine because it was remotely logging. The live file, of course, was uncompressed, just like you'd expect, because it's being written to. So uh, we had this, like, cheat sheet of stuff that we would use to look for stuff. And they were all, like, grep, the string, and then the name of the file, right? Because you can use grep that way. You can tell grep to open right. the file There's a couple and of different output, ways to right? do it. Mm-hmm. But then all the older logs, like, I think they were, like, four-hour rotation because there was so much data that came into these things. So if, if the thing you were looking for was more than four hours ago... It was in it was a gonna be a It was in a gzip file, right? And for that, <clears throat> they would then use I forget how they had this written. It was like you'd use zcat to cat the Bow! to cat the file, and then they did some other weirdness where it was like they zcatted it into another file and then used the same grep file name, right, to do it. And I said, why are we doing this extra step? Could have just sent it right to grep. Exactly what I said. I said, why are we doing this extra step? You can take zcat and send it right to grep. And by the way, you can use the exact same command, take the z off, and use it for the live file. Because now it's not zcat, it's just cat, right? And this makes your documentation wow. so much quicker and so much more streamlined. And they looked at me because I'm like this junior guy that just joined the team. And they're like, how do you know that? I'm like... Because I've been using Linux longer than you guys have been looking at networks. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Um, but that's the perfect example of like the power of these of the ability to do these streams like this. Right, and 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 they weren't. It's not what they were doing was wrong. Right. It's just that when you're a real hardcore Linux person, you sometimes aim for the for the least number of characters to do the job you're trying to do. It's like a challenge. Yeah. Right. Like how optim, <laughs> like um, like Apollo thirteen. Remember when they were when they were trying to like, you know, turn everything on by using the least amount of power. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. How can we do this with the least number of characters? Right. To, to do the same right. thing because it, it is like a game, and that's your best. Your best yeah. computer nerds are playing are always playing a game. The 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 downside to that. <laughs> 
which I've run into more more frequently or more recently, I should say, is when you write that stuff down in documentation, right? It's hard to read for the junior guy, right? They don't understand yeah. what the command's doing. Or if you're Sometimes trying to, it's better. It, like in this in the situations clever. in the situations that I'm in now, if you're trying to demonstrate a feature to say new people or a customer or something, and you have this like crazy convoluted hieroglyphic string, and they're like, okay, it did the thing. I didn't learn anything from that because I don't know what that thing did. <laughs> right? So sometimes you have to step that back. But if you're doing it, you're just on the command line doing a thing, then yeah, absolutely. Do it as, as efficiently and, I don't know, fun <laughs> as you want to do it. <laughs> so that's like, it's like a personal challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it All is. Right. But if you're writing down documentation, at least explain what that thing you just wrote does so that the next guy coming along doesn't have to pick pieces out and... And then go to Google and say, what does this piece do? <laughs> what does that piece do? <laughs> right. Documenting your work. That's something that very few geeks actually like. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody really, is, really enjoys that. But, uh, you know, it'll really help the next guy. Or, you know, if you're on vacation in Hawaii, it'll help you from getting paged. You know, when the junior I just wouldn't answer can't, the page. can't figure out what you wrote. So your next item is one of my I'm not good with networking. Yeah. So your your next one, I'm a little intimidated by your next uh, yeah. set of uh, favorites. This, this is a great tool. And to be honest, I didn't rank these in like my my le my most favorite to least favorite or anything. Uh, this might be higher up in the list if I was doing that. TCP dump and the follow-on Wireshark, right? Um, TCP dump, like at, at face value, it's not all that exciting. It takes network data that you can see from your server already and logs it so you can then review it later. However... The things you can do with that data from a troubleshooting perspective is just amazing. And that's why I love this tool and why it's it's great that most Linux distros, you can just install it right from your software repos. You get TCP dump. You can then monitor the packets that are passing through one of your network adapters. It doesn't have to be a physical network adapter. You can even do this for like VMs and stuff if you're on a hypervisor. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see what the traffic is doing. And the reason that's helpful is, you know, you've got a machine that is talking to another machine over the network, and there's an issue. Maybe it's dropping packets. Maybe um, the interchange between the two of them isn't going as expected. Like, you know, you're yeah. trying to do TLS or you're trying to do something, and something's going wrong, and your log data is not telling you what the problem is. Sometimes if you gather those packets and look at them, and Wireshark is great for visualizing that, which is why I sort of lump the two of those together. TCP dump is great for collecting the data. You can collect the data with Wireshark too. However, normally you might not have Wireshark on a server, but TCP dump is a nice lightweight utility. Um, Wireshark is great to put on your desktop. You get the packet capture, you bring it into Wireshark. You can see what each and every one of those packets did. And bonus points, if you can get a TCP dump from the other end of the conversation too, because then you can look Packet by packet. I sent this, you yeah. got that. You sent this back, I got this. And you can look for where things got lost. You can look for where things maybe even got uh, corrupted or, thing. you know, you got retransmissions. Like, these are all indicators of either network issues or you can even find, like, someone doing nasty things in the middle. Because I sent this, it came through, but it wasn't what I sent. But it looks weird. Right. Yeah. Right. So, really yeah. powerful so tools. Yeah, when I was still tamming, is that the second time tonight I've used that expression? Um, I uh, I wasn't keeping track. Do I have to keep a scoreboard? Okay. Was I was I, I supposed know. to keep a scoreboard? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. When I was still tamming before I became an evil manager, those to me the cases involving network stuff were some of the more challenging ones because I just never got really deep into it. Mm -hmm. But there were some nerds on our networking team that were just amazing. And, uh, yeah, just I would try to, like, imitate their work. And whenever they would update a case or do something with my customer that involved a packet capture, I was all over it trying to soak it up. And there's a like when you have an NFS problem, for instance, like TCP dump and Wireshark, they're they're almost mandatory. Um you know, same same with some of the identity management stuff that it's all about. OK, 
start running a packet capture. Like if I'm an enterprise customer, I can do it on both ends. Start running the packet capture and then try to do the thing and then send us the PCAPs. Right. And then 30 minutes later, the network guy's like, yeah, here's where it's broke. Here's what's going on. And usually it was a misconfigured firewall in the customer's environment. Aronami brings up a really good point um, in the chat. They say TCP dump is awesome when you want to fill up a disk. <laughs> hey, you know, hard drives need the occasional exercise, just like my our new puppy. Yeah. Sometimes so, you need to let her run around. Sometimes you need to let the hard drive spin. That's a that's a great caveat, okay? TCP dump does two things that are negative, of course, on your machine. Well, probably several things, but two major things that are negative. One, it can impact performance because now every single packet that passes through your machine is also getting written to disk. And two, it can fill up a disk. If there's a lot of network traffic or you forget to turn off the TCP dump, (laughs) it won't take long before all those packets are filling up your hard drive. Um, it is a, it, it is a disruptive measuring tool, but yes. it is sometimes the only way to find a network right, issue. Right. So those are those it's are caveats. the only way to get the defi- the definitive information. Caveats to live by when running TCP dump right. because you'll be amazed for uh, with a machine that gets a lot of traffic or that's on a port that's very chatty. Um, how quickly that fire will grow or that file will, will will grow. And they're even binary, right? They're not just plain text. Right. So you, you'd think yeah. a binary file would would not build as quickly, but it does. It really does. It builds pretty freaking quick. So. All right. What's your next one? Yeah. So my next one's going to be a suite of commands. One of my one of the areas that I do fancy myself pretty good with is performance uh, and and the troubleshooting around performance issues. So I'm list I've listed out what I consider the performance commands. And on Linux, those tend to be. Uptime, yes, uptime is a performance command. VM stat, IO stat, top, and then SAR. And that and those are essentially sometimes the order that I'll check things in, depending upon what's going on. But so uptime, uptime basically answers the question: how long has it been since this computer's been rebooted, whether whether it was on purpose or a crash. Mm-hmm. And then it shows system load for the I think the default is the past one minute, past Five minutes and past 15. It's, I think those are the, the, the things, but essentially it shows the, the trend of load. And, and it's, and essentially, um, if that load is greater than the number of processors on the system, you're probably looking at CPU contention, right? So if it's a 16 core machine and the load is eight, you're fine. Yep. If it's 200, you're thick. Not so great. Not so great. Yeah. yeah. Top is one of those, like the load average in top is one of those things I'm that. Talk, well, that's uptime. Oh, I'm sorry. Uptime and top. Top also, top also has yeah. a load average. The, but top top is neat because for those of you who don't know what top does, is it is it gives, uh, it shows you the, the all the processes running on the machine. It updates live. It shows you the memory consumption and you can sort and filter and try and figure out what's using how many, you know, which CPUs are running hot, what processes, how much, you know, processor time are they using? How is that changing in real time? Uh, how much memory are particular processes using both resident memory and, and, and virtual? So, so top is a really good a really good live way to look at data. And I believe you can actually run top in batch mode where it'll, it'll every X number of seconds dump that data to a text file. Right. Right. And then you can of course run it through set awk or grep to, to filter through. But yeah, two, two of the most commonly misread statistics that I see when dealing with performance troubleshooting is the, uh, is the, the load average and the data you get out of the free memory tool, you know, just free. Mm. Right. Uh, people, people, especially in the old days when the systems were only had a single CPU, right? Everybody got used to a load average of one being hundred percent utilization because you only have yeah. one CPU, right? But if you're, what you were saying is absolutely true. If you have 32 CPUs, load average of 32 means hundred percent utilization, right? You're, you're getting what you're paying for, right? Like you're actually right. using all right. your cores. Right. It means that there's a process, a, a process lined up for every core. Right. Thanos is pleased. It's right. perfectly balanced. Right. Right. Yeah. A free is interesting because what free does, if, if you come from Windows, you're not used to this at all. Um, 
on a Linux machine, Linux understands you bought memory. Mm -hmm. So if the programs aren't using the memory, Linux will take large hunks of memory and use it for buffers and cache to improve performance, yep. which means the free command will report like, oh my God, I've only got, I've got a 32 gig system and I've only got like five gig free, but a huge chunk of that's buffers and cache, which or, it'll release if the program needs it. Or it shows nothing free or like a couple K free or a couple hundred yeah. K free. And you're like, oh my God, I'm out of memory. But the the newer iterations of that tool, or maybe there's a there was a rewrite of it or something, now clearly indicate the buffers versus the uh, processes, right? It used to they, be like it, this one little stat at the end that said buffers, and you had to subtract that in your head. Okay, buffers minus, um, yeah, you know the total. That's how much I have free, right? Um, or you had to add them in your head, whatever. Now it actually shows you free minus cash. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's made it a little more clear so people yeah. don't freak out. Right. Because right. there's a website where you can go to to download more RAM for Linux. Yeah. No, you really can't do that. And then there's Remember a couple the of other commands of like RAM doubler and stuff. Uh, RAM doubler <laughs> on a Macintosh was actually a better virtual memory manager. Yeah. Than the than Apple's. So it, it was actually a, it actually performed better. We used it. But my me and my Macintosh buddies in the eighties used the, sh the crap out of it. On on Windows, 80s and 90s. on Windows, I think it just gave you a number because it didn't feel didn't seem like it improved performance at all. It 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 was yeah the it, it for the Macintosh virtual memory manager it was better. It didn't it wasn't really an improvement for the Windows virtual memory manager. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, we've we've and gone. then there's a couple of other commands. VM stat is for is for uh, seeing like a mix of both processor utilization as well as some memory stuff. And then IO stat is for IO mm -hmm. naturally. Those are, those are great little what, what's going on at this very moment commands, which if you pipe them through watch, you can again, have them dump to a file every yeah. X number of seconds. I would have customers do that for me when I was trying to track performance issues. And then SAR is the built-in uh, performance collection tool. SAR is decent, but the default granularity is it grabs performance data every 10 minutes. So it can be, sometimes you'll miss when an issue happens. Right, right. And it and, and it does like an average over that 10 minute period. So it, it, what I try to do is if I had a customer having a performance issue, I would have them set up VM stat and, update it every five seconds, dump it to a file, and then take a look and see what was going on, especially if the problem was having right there. And the nice thing, compared to compared to packet captures and stuff, VM stat, IO stat, they're very lightweight. Yes, there's a tiny, tiny impact to the system performance, but they're much more lightweight than some other more aggressive measuring tools. Right. And you you just glossed over a very useful but very simplistic tool, watch. Uh, watch... Yeah. I mean, it, it'll basically, you give watch a command and the number of seconds to in, 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 in the number of seconds it waits between rerunning that command and giving you the output. Right. So if you're looking for a thing to happen, you can run that, you can run a command that looks for the thing through watch, tell to do it every second or every 10 seconds or whatever. And then you can just sit there and watch that terminal every 10 seconds. You'll see it update. Right. So you can put. Yeah, it's cool. It's like when yeah. you're copying or downloading it. it yeah, yeah. No, I love watch. Yeah. It, it yeah. actually is. a. Yeah, I now that I'm thinking about it, it should probably be on the list. That, that's exactly why I mentioned it. Right. Because we, we just both right. talked about it like, oh, this is totally just a thing everyone knows about. So, but maybe they don't. I was I use I was several years into my, my I'm going to I'm going to tuck it into my performance commands because that's that where works. I use it. I was several years into my into my career in systems administration before I even learned what watch was. And when I found it, I'm like, I wish I'd known about this years ago. <laughs> right. There's there's so many commands that are like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next command. And this one is really not sexy at all. LS block LSBLK. And all this does is it shows you a list of all of the disks attached to your system. And the reason I put it on my list is because sometimes that data isn't necessarily the easiest to come across, and LSBLK fix that, fixes that problem. So um, if you're, say, the, I use this most frequently when I was, like, adding a disk to expand a, um, a, a volume group, right, a, a logical volume. 
Yeah. Because it's a great way to double check yourself and say, I'm pretty sure the virtual disk I just attached is like SDC or whatever, um, but I really want to be certain. LS block will show you where it's attached on the SCSI bus or the bus that it's attached to, not necessarily SCSI, although most of them are SCSI at this point, uh, where it's attached on the bus. Uh, I think it tells you if there's volumes already in use on it. If there's partitions there already, that'll be displayed in LS block. It's a really handy tool. It's a great way to double check yourself before you accidentally blow away your production data on that disk you thought you were so, expanding. So I just ran out of my Fedora machine and I'm gonna disagree with you about something. Uh oh. I think it's super I think it's super sexy. Okay. Because it solves a real problem. Yeah. Because without it, it's a royal friggin' pain in the ass to answer the question. What disks are on my system? Right. You either had to you either had to write a job to like scan through device shit uh-huh. or start poking around with like a partition manager to list stuff out. LSBLK, I just ran it on my Fedora machine and it was instant and it shows me a bunch of cool stuff on it. It even there. gives you like a tree output, if I remember correctly. I don't it have it does. in front of me. It does. It absolutely does. It shows partitions, it shows logical volumes, it shows that I've got an encrypted file system. Uh, that that leads to this. I mean, it's it's act. I I argue, my friend, that it is a super sexy command. Okay. That fill that fills a need that we absolutely need it. I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. The reason it's, the reason I said it's not that sexy is because you you don't need it often, but when you need it, it is super helpful. Well, and and there's a lot of commands that are like that. And that's and that's what really makes them powerful because they're very specific use cases. But yeah. oh my word, Without when you them, need them, knowing about them, yeah. can be life changing. A similar a similar tool is LSPCI or LSUSB, which will show you what's yeah. on the USB or PCI buses, respectively. Basically, the list family. Right, yeah. right. So uh, Aranami says we're playing a lot with Ceph and Naz. I think oh he means San nowadays. So LS block and multipath LL are both very useful. Multipath is another tool I didn't touch on at all, but well, if you're using a SAM, multipath is very important. I believe Ceph can present a file system as as NFS if you want to, but yeah, with um with well, Ceph he, you're usually using spinning disks or he SAM. Corrected himself volumes. in the next comment saying yeah, but, SAM, but not NAS. it's ac- it's it's accurate either way. Like NAS can be used with Ceph or right. Ceph can present as NAS, so right. I found nothing strange about it. The sand be keeping us down, man. That's what we used to say at Merck. Uh, yeah. Man, we had and a... Multi, uh, yeah, if you work with the sand, then multipath is absolutely your buddy. Yeah. We had a we had a summer when I worked at the college where we migrated from an old EMC storage array to a super sexy IBM XIV, which if anybody's ever seen an IBM XIV, we had one of the... I think it was like the second gen model before they got super high performance and super expensive and we couldn't afford them anymore. But anyway, we were migrating all of our data from one to the other. And if anyone who's been through a SAN migration knows that no matter how many tools they give you to make it easier, it's still a pain in the ass. So we used to call it, we, we called that whole summer because we wanted to get it done over the summer while the students were gone, the summer of SAN. Yeah. Like the summer of SAM. Right, the, exactly. The, 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 the serial killer. Yeah. 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 It's the summer of Nerds SAN. Are so- Nerds are so dank sometimes. The uh, the <laughs> the guy who was managing the systems team at the time, he was he was known he was the guy that would walk in and write tasks on your whiteboard, right? Yeah. He walked into my office and he just wrote in like this metal script, "Summer of Sand" at the top of my whiteboard, and it stayed there all summer. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he was a good guy. I kind of miss working for him sometimes. Anyway, just you know, we should submit this part A to enable sysadmin. By the way, uh, they have articles that are similar to this. In fact, I went and looked some of them up to give myself some uh, inspiration. So some of these came yeah. right from enable sysadmin. In, in fact, that uh, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Tyler wants me to write us uh, 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 an enable sysadmin article about the Steam Deck. Yeah, so that'd be fun. What that would look like. You got to do that. I got oh now I got it. I'll yeah, think about it. Now you got it. Now you said it on the air. It's gonna have to happen. All right, so where were we? That, I, that was I work best I work best with pressure and or a deadline. So yeah, yeah. that's probably good. So that was LS block. Um, What's your next one here? All right, so so this could start a minor religious war, but <laughs> Hang I on, don't care. Me, duck. 
So this is this is not a specific command, but a concept instead. And and that is uh, system D and the drop-in files, especially for creating services. Yeah. Because I got to be honest, Nate, the old school bash scripts for starting and restarting and tracking daemons, I always found them to just be awful at best. Yeah. Quirky yeah. at worst. And I, and, and maybe it's cause I'm just not a great scripter. I would look <laughs> at them and be like, what is this what even doing? Actual, yeah. What the fresh hell is going on in this, in this huge script, yep. you know, some third party vendor would write it. Yep. And, and system, system D has taken all that nonsense and said, look, here's a declarative block. This is how you declare just, a service. Just tell us what you want it to I'll do. Yeah. We'll handle I'll the rest. Take care. <laughs> I'll handle tracking the PID. Yeah. I'll handle tracking the children. Yep. Yep. We good. We good. Yep. So and instead of this huge script, you've got this five or six line unit file, which is just like, oh. And some of the kids. some of the stuff you can make system D do with your unit files is just amazing. You can declare oh. like where you want it to start, if you if it depends on other services, if you want it to start before or after another service, because, you know, maybe the thing that you're starting up really needs, I don't know, uh, your your uh, 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 authentication daemon running first, or the networking yeah. has to be up, or whatever, right? And there's all kinds right. of power there. So uh, I know we're both Red Hatters, and of course Red Hat uses SystemD, as do a lot of distributions nowadays. Um, so maybe but we're spe biased. Speak but <laughs> uh, no, I'm biased because it makes to me a lot of system administration much easier. I yeah. like so that the CTF stuff, the engine you wrote for the CTF stuff was good, but it was based on the on the Sysnet files. Yep. I rewrote it with the system D stuff. And, and, and it was so much easier. Honestly, it's, it's, it's better now. Yeah. Yep. Like you're not running into issues where you couldn't shut down the, the <laughs> file watch stuff. Yep. Now yep. that there's proper system D services, <laughs> you can turn them off and on easily and yeah. it just works. Yeah, that was that was always problematic on that thing. But the Pi, when I wrote that, wasn't using system D yet. And Raspbian right, moved right. over to system D before we did the one for the pub crawl CTF. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta fix this, man. Yeah. I gotta make this work better. And, and that's appreciated. That's going back into yeah. the into the open the code. source, yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on, let me get my motor oil. Yeah. <laughs> motor oil, something, something, something. So yeah, so so to me, this this change to the unit file format in System D, and if I have offended anybody on the podcast, eh, I guess I sort of care a little bit, but there's a certain elegance. In, in the way System can, D handles, you can leave handles us another hateful and services. You and can stuff. leave us another hateful review you know if you really I'll, want I'll, to. I'll take the hit on that. <laughs> I'll take the hit because, quite frankly, the the bash scripts for system services sucked eggs. They really kind of did. Aaronami uh, likes System D. Lux says, "Clink, I clink my glass at you." <laughs> As he knocks his camera right. over. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I can always clink. <laughs> All right, you've got uh, you got another one on. Yeah, there. I got one more, and this is this is more of a. It's not necessarily just a command. It, it's like a suite of things, uh, and in fact, it's a it's a daemon really that uh, manages virtual virtual machines on well RHEL and a number of other uh, systems. But I'm I'm talking about libvirt. OpenStack. Yep, OpenStack. Uh, libvirt in itself is basically a wrapper around KVM. Yep, just like that. Which uh, started its life as QEMU or QMU or KUMU. People have pronounced it lots of different ways. But KVM is the kernel virtual machine. Libvirt is like this management wrapper around KVM that you can do mm -hmm. things like define your VMs, define networks, um, all kinds of cool stuff that lets you run virtualization on RHEL. Or not just RHEL, but, you know, Linux. Any um, Linux kernel. Any Linux running KVM. Um, yes. The reason I like it so much is one, I used to manage a bunch of clusters that were running cluster suite with libvirt behind them to run VMs, right? So the services that the cluster suite managed were just VMs. And it was super solid and super, I mean, there were times it felt like uh, difficult to manage, which is why we moved from that to Red Hat Virtualization when Red Hat Virtualization hit the scene. 
Um, but Red Hat Virtualization was libvert behind the scenes, right? And OpenStack is libvert behind the scenes. And there's a lot, um, what's that one that Ubuntu uses? Proxmox, is it? I think that's libvert uh, behind the scenes. That sounds about right, yeah. Um, but it's a really powerful, really great uh, virtualization platform, free. Just run it. You just like yep. install the packages, run virtual machines. There's no, you know, it, and it's, I love it. I, my, my virtual machines that I run for my lab yeah. down in the basement, all libvert. Yeah, my Relate lab box is, that, that's running, you know, just naked VMs on it. Yeah. Using, K, using KVM. The, that's what the Valheim server runs on, for instance. Right, right. And some of my test machines. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, virtualization is is a pretty cool tech, and yeah. and KVM's nice. It's it's simple, it's lightweight, it's reliable. Good yeah, stuff. and if if you don't mind the management overhead of managing the thing via the command line, um, you can run it enterprise ready. I mean, this thing it works, it works well. Well, if you use if you use in a Red Hat machine, or I, I guess you know something, you, yep. really any Red Hat similar uh, distro, you can use Cockpit. Mm-hmm which has support for managing most of the work you need to do on VMs. That works really some well. Stuff you, some stuff you still need vert manager or the command line, but the, the web console does most of the stuff you yeah, need to do. Yeah, for, for me, with my existing familiarity with libvert, um, I've been able to get by with cockpit and the command line, and I, I don't need vert manager for anything anymore, which is good because it's deprecated, which is kind of a shame because it was such a great way to manage libvert. Well, NS Lookup has been deprecated for 20 years and it still works. So, <laughs> Good point. You know, Good point. Take, take that for what it's worth. Good point. But yeah, um, yeah, Cockpit is great and it's always getting better. So, and the my my latest hypervisor that I built, which I talked about on the show a couple months ago when I bought that used piece of hardware, uh, I almost, I don't want to say entirely manage it, but I do most of the configuration through Cockpit because it's just, it's so much easier. Right, like setting up bridges for virtualization and additional IP addresses and stuff—it's just so much easier through the UI. <laughs> I can do a command line, but why? Why go through the pain, right? Yeah, the um, yeah, good stuff. All right, I think you got another one. I have. Uh, you have a group here. I have. Where are yeah. the notes? I can't so, find them. <laughs> yeah, I had to find the window. So I know Google's a thing, right? Yep. But the reality is, in in the best cases, Linux and Unix is self-documenting, mm-hmm. which means the classic man command. Um, if you're not sure what the command is, apropos can be used to find the command that you might think you need to run. And then most commands that are well-behaved, you can do the command and dash dash help mm-hmm. or slash question mark to get help. And and then the command can almost teach you what you need to do. Right. So, so the built-in help system inside of a Linux box tends to be pretty solid. And, and you sometimes need it because maybe you don't have a good cell connection yep. or maybe you're, you don't have the internet because you're on site somewhere and the client, you know, you're in their server room and you can't, you just can't connect, whatever. Right. Yeah. that's something, that's something that was far more important a couple of years back, but it's still good to be able to know how to ask a Linux system, how to help you. Or, you know, and that can start with the man commands. Maybe you're sitting for an exam and you just forgot the command line arguments for this thing and you can't pull out your phone and look it up. <laughs> no, that's correct. That's a, that's a, that's a very artificial situation. It is, but yes, it Red is, Hat, but it's true. Red Hat, <laughs> Red Hat certification exams. You do not have Google, right? When you but take you do them. have man. You do have man. You yep. do have apropos. You do have slash help yep. on commands. Yep. So 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 that's kind of a shout out, and and that kind of to me that really highlights that even if you're not a, a programmer. You can give back to open source by contributing to documentation. Mm-hmm. If if you feel a command is poorly documented, you can you can do a pull request on the man page or on the help and, and help make it better for the next nerd who's coming along. Yeah, absolutely. And that that goes back to what I was what we were talking about earlier with those archaic commands, right? You you came up with that cool one liner, but no one understands what it does, but you really don't want to document it. Maybe someone else can come along and 
document it, right? Systems, system, systems administrators don't love to document. Developers don't necessarily love, love to document. Maybe your passion is writing good documentation. You can certainly give back yeah. in that way. And I, I really like man pages or helps that give actual examples. Mm -hmm. Here's, here's like, here's a common thing people do with this command. So here, you know, here's an example of it. I think that really, uh, I think that really helps. What is that? Uh, TLDR. I don't understand. Awesome oh, too long. Didn't read. I'm not familiar with that. No, I haven't used that one. I just need Let some just quick type examples. TLDR at the command line. Packages providing this file are TLDR and TLDR. Hmm. TLDR. Now I, I might have to, I might have to go and install that on my Fedora box. Yeah, now we got to see fact, what it does. To hell with it. D sudo dnf dnf install TLDR. Because this should be fast. See, this is this is how we convince Mark to install malicious code on his machine. Hey, have you ever heard of this thing called It's com it's coming from the Fedora. It's malware. TLDR. Uh, command to look up. So TLDR ah uh, List is not available. Let's do ls. TLDR ls. Oh, that's actually kind of nice. But what did it do, Mark? That's we can't see it. <laughs> so it 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 actually it actually gives it says what the ls command is, and it gives you a link for more information, but it's literally examples. So let's oh, TLDR cool. grep. Let's see what TLDR grep gets me. Do a TLDR on like awk. Something complicated like oh, that, I don't know. Oh, this is actually really cool, and it uses separate colors so that all right, yeah, let's do awk tldr awk. Uh, versatile programming lines print the fifth column in a space separated file. Print the second column lines getting even. That's awesome. That, you know what? This is awesome. I love it. Thanks, Aaronami. I love it. You gave us That's a great exactly suggestion. That's exactly what it's for. It gives. This is it, the whole point of the show. <laughs> TLDR. That's pretty cool. And it was and it was part of the Fedora repo, like right in the Fedora repo. So I trust it. Uh-oh. The Streamlabs bot has now slapped down Aranami again. We apologize, Aranami. Uh, <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta rein that bot in there, Nate. <laughs> it's a Nazi, I'm telling you. That that it was is, not a particularly long message. This this bot is Hitler reincarnated. Oh, come on. Now, that's a little extreme. Um, and in this political climate, you might want to be careful. I about guess you're that. right. <laughs> I shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's a wonderful command. And that that will I'm going to share that with people. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. I'm going to have to write that one down. All right. And that is the end of our list of our favorite Linux commands. Now, there's probably a million that we didn't mention, folks. If you want to reach there out are. to us and let us know what your favorite Unix, Linux, command know. utility is. We'd Let love to hear. Let us know. What do you like to type? Yeah. Yeah. Row pages? Row pages. Is highly readable supplement to man pages. Get it? Cause, because, you know, man bros, and then bro. Bros aren't quite men. Bro. Bro. <laughs> bro. 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 And the dogs are barking, of course, because of course they are, because we're, we're recording. Bro can you pages. hear the dog? Yeah, we can hear the dog. That's okay. Your dogs can be oh, on the podcast. Son of a bitch. All right, so folks, this is the end of our main topic. If you were here live, thanks for watching. We're going to go to a break in just a few minutes, and we'll be back. Um, if you are tuning in, you know, uh, audio only, then you want to make sure you check out part B of the show. We're going to have our chat and our news, and I'm sure Mark will sing some more. Um, maybe you maybe. like that. Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe he'll talk like Dr. Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> a platypus? <laughs> a platypus! Yeah. Oh, uh, what a great show. All right. Uh, yeah, so thanks for watching, and we will be back. If you want to check us out on the socials, you can look in the show notes. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter's still around, right? I think it's still around. Uh, Mastodon. I, I'm going to talk in the second part of the show about something cool I did mastodon or at least fediverse related with uh our website so stick around for that um groovy but folks we're gonna go to a break and we'll be back in a few minutes so we'll see you there ta-ta for now ttfn <laughs>